I know what I did to provoke him. And so I'm sitting there, and I'm just remembering now sort of the feeling of shame of sitting there and letting him take the blame. And, and me just sort of sitting there smirking and getting off scot-free. And the shame of that, of doing that. But it's not only when we're kids, right? When we, when we used our words or we used our fists to hurt other people. You know, shame kind of keeps pace with us as we become adults. And uh, all the kids are gone now, so we can deny all this later. But the reality is, is that as adults, we can go places that we shouldn't go. We can see things we shouldn't see. We can uh, maybe ask ourselves or might ask ourselves, what's going on in our businesses right now? What's going on at work? How are we conducting ourselves? Or what's going on in our families? How are we speaking to our spouses? How are we treating our children? Is it all as good as we would hope that it would be? Right? What's gone on in our past and maybe not so distant past? What's even going on in our church and how we treat each other? Right? There is this sort of emotional or physical or spiritual violence that we do out of this flesh that we are burdened with out of sin. And so it would be nice if we could all stand before one another completely transparent and with a clear conscience and just say, yeah, you know, examine any part of my life, I'm pure. Anybody up for that? Anybody up for that kind of transparency this morning? (laughs) It's hard, right? Because we've done things, we've said things, we know things. There's things going on in our life right now that bring shame. And that is a signal to us of what's going on in our life spiritually. That's the good shame that I want to talk about today. And next week, we're going to deal with the bad shame, which is the residue of that sin that clings to us. But there's actually a good shame, that feeling of shame which prompts us to come to God. And so Christian or not, we can pretend otherwise, but we still have to deal with sin, and we still have to deal with the shame that comes with it. And what I hope to show today is that God has has a way for it. He's he's planned for it, and he has a way for us to deal with it. As I'm talking here right now, you might want to look in in the seat cushion or the pockets in front of you or whatever. There's probably pens and pencils and things in there. Just get one handy. And a piece of paper handy, you can tear off a piece of the benevolent envelope or whatever you want, and just uh, just have that handy, because we're going to use it later. So that as I talked about my shame, you know, I was sort of playing softball there. I wasn't bringing out sort of the heavy guns. There's lots more things in terms of our sin and our nature for which we have shame. And the reality, the source of our shame, where this shame comes from, is our sin. And so just really quickly, we're going to go a brief overview here of the condition of us. And I'm speaking to the church here, so I'm, I'm going to go fairly quickly over this. But understanding that we are by nature children of wrath, that we are by nature rebellious, that we are by nature resisting God. And if you're here today and you still haven't laid down that rebellion, if you're here today and you're still just sort of trying to figure out this whole Christian thing and, and you're resonating with what I'm talking about in terms of guilt or shame, and you're feeling that shame, and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you as a non-Christian, just understand that by nature we're children of wrath, that by nature we're born into rebellion. We do not want God. And that continues to a certain extent after we are Christian as well. Christian or non, we still wrestle with our flesh in this inner rebellion. It says in Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, followed the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived 
in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. That's Paul speaking to the church. He's saying you're by nature children of wrath, and there are passions in our flesh which we, par- which we carried out, our arrogance, our desire, our greed, our wanting to elevate ourselves above others or put other people down. Whatever it is, it was this power in our flesh that compelled us. And it goes on, Paul says that there is no good thing in us, Scripture says in Romans 7, when Paul is wrestling with his own flesh and his own sin. This is the Apostle Paul we're talking about here. And he says, for I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, I keep on doing. And so this is the problem of sin, which brings on our shame. In Romans, Paul goes on to say that whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so the the summary of that is that a moral high ground is of no help. It doesn't matter if we just do good works. Paul eliminates even that. He says it doesn't matter what you do. If you're not doing it out of faith, it's sin. You can't just be a moral person. You can't just do well religion doesn't help you. Just having a certain religiosity to you uh, doesn't help. You know, God dealt with that even in the people of Israel. You remember uh, in, in Amos when he's speaking through the prophets and also in Isaiah, he says to the people of Israel who had the, the sacrifices and the ceremonies and the temple worship, everything down pat, Jesus, or God said to them, I abhor your feasts. I detest your ceremonies because you're just religious people. That is not what I'm looking for. And so this problem of our guilt and this problem of our shame isn't solved with moralism or religion. We have to confront the reality of our fallen nature and the distance that it has caused between us and God. So what is the nature of sin then? What do we have to deal with? What are we wrestling with in our own sin? The first thing is that it is strong. The Bible says that our sin is like a prowling lion. In 1 Peter 5, 8. Or James says it's like a forest fire. Or it's like a storm that we are tossed to and fro. In Proverbs it says that our sin leads us to death. And so, again, now think back maybe a little bit. And you can use that piece of paper. You might think of, what's the strongest shame in your life? What is that thing as you think about your life either right now or maybe in the recent past? Or something that you have left unresolved? What is that thing that is like a prowling lion? What is that thing that is like a forest fire? What is that thing that is, as you try to go to God, you know is strong and holding you from the fullest relationship that you could have with God? Just think on that. C.S. Lewis puts it another way when he's talking about sin. He's borrowing from Paul's ideas, but C.S. Lewis says here that we really only know the true nature and the true strength of sin by resisting it. In other words, sinners don't really have any idea the strength of the sin that they are involved in because they don't resist it. They just submit to it. Or as C.S. Lewis says, you only learn the true strength of an army by fighting it, not surrendering. If you surrender to an army, you never really found out how strong it was. If you fight an army, you find out how strong it is. So the first thing in this nature of sin is that we have to realize that it's strong. And I'm just saying this as a recognition of just saying this right now, here today, in our hearts, we're sitting there and we're thinking this idea of shame, it is not a lightweight thing. It is a strong thing. Shame isn't something that we can just sort of laugh off and just sort of, 
You know, it'd be nice just to pretend it wasn't there. It'd be nice just to pretend that sin didn't exist, that somehow, oh, we're all in the church and everything's great. But no, shame and sin is strong. And it's a real weight in our life. The second problem with, with sin, and this is not to deal with shame, but with sin specifically, is that it's appealing. This is part of the problem is that sin is tempting. That's why it's called temptation, right? James 1 says that, but each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. Sin is desirable. And so we got pulled into these things because there was something there that was enticing. Even if it's just me and, you know, my vocabulary, the thing that was enticing to me was fitting in with all my friends. I, I got sucked into the crowd. I, the sin was good. It was fun because I could fit in with everybody, right? Or the thing that was enticing with me as a bully when I was, you know, pushing that guy around verbally was that it was making me feel proud. It was making me feel big. It was impressing all my friends. And so sin is enticing and it sucks us in. And so sometimes we're sinning. We don't even realize it because it's just, we're just following our desires. But James goes on. He says, then the desire when it is conceived gives birth to sin. And when the sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death, right? And we know what that feels like when we realize later after we've sinned and we reflect on it and we just literally die inside, right? The sin, it's like there's a little death that ultimately leads to a spiritual death that ultimately leads to an eternal death. But James says, don't be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, from whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. But sin here, the second problem is that it's appealing, Sin is most basically described as loving the created more than the creator. I loved myself more than I loved God. I loved myself more than I loved God's children made in his image. I loved the world more than God. I loved what is below more than what I loved above. And that's the root of our sin. What we see and what we hear and what we taste and what we feel is what appeals to us. And so it's alluring. It's appealing. As I recently heard a pastor mention can't remember the pastor it was but he said nobody gets up in the morning and says i didn't have any plans to sin today but i better make sure that i sin at least a little bit so that i don't accidentally fall into perfectionism right like you don't get up thinking that you think you know i don't want to accidentally be perfect so i'm going to sin a little bit today the reality is sin is appealing and it is a constant draw and from that constant draw as we look back on our life and we look back on our day you know, like that guy, he was praying in the morning. And, uh, you know, he's praying because he knows that as soon as he gets out of bed, he's going to, you know, it's going to begin. The fight is going to begin. And your prayer in the morning is one thing, and then your prayer at night is another thing. And you're dealing with the reality of the day. And you may not be all that proud of what your day was when you're praying at night. Because sin is appealing and it draws you in. The third thing is that prayer is deceptive. And this is a definite problem. Along those things that I just talked about, by it being appealing, by it coming out of our flesh, how we're not even really aware that we're doing it, by its nature, all sin is a lie. Sin is of the devil. The devil is the father of lies. All he knows is lies. And his one weapon is lies. And so sin is deceptive. It's a false promise. And it's, secondly, it's deceptive because it's hidden in our lives. The deception of sin is that it hides except in the light of righteousness. You know, it's like, a, it's like a, one of those tree frogs that's on the tree and you can't see it till you walk right up to it. Or it's like those stick insects that you think are a branch and then suddenly it moves and you realize it's an insect. It's deceptive because it hides in our lives. And it's interesting how the Bible brings this out because Paul says that 
he required the law to see his sin in Romans 7. It says, it hadn't been for the law, I wouldn't have known sin. And Jesus says that judgment has come because light has entered the world. And John 3 says that this is the judgment, that that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. So there's this idea that Paul couldn't see his sin until the law was on, until the law showed it. And Jesus says, you can't see the darkness until the light comes. And Jesus says that deceivers will appear as sheep, but in reality will be, will be wolves. And Paul and Jude warn that people are able to creep in un, unnoticed and sin is able to creep in unnoticed, even among the church. And so here's the problem. You know, all of that to summarize the problem. That we have this sin, even as Christians. That we have this shame that comes up in our life due to sin. And that God's desire for the church is that we be free from it. God's desire for the church is that our sin be exposed. God's desire for the church and his people is that the light shine upon our lives and that we be able to recognize these things and that the shame can be eliminated as our sins are forgiven. And so all three of these characteristics of sin are met in prayer and at the cross of Jesus. Because it's strong, because it's appealing, because it's deceptive, we don't have any hope of dealing with sin and eventually dealing with the shame that comes with sin except in prayer and except at the cross of Jesus because that is God's solution to sin. Prayer casts light on our sin. It can easily remain hidden until it's confronted confronted in the presence of God in prayer. It's in prayer whereby grace we're sort of laid bare before God where we just sort of put our lives out there and let God's light shine on our lives, right? That there's no misunderstanding of who we are and what our nature is before God. And I think you know what I'm talking about. Even as we were to pray right now, which I think I might do, that if we just right now put ourselves before God, we immediately feel that light on our life. Let's just pray. Father God, even now as we come before you and we hold our lives before you, your light shines. And Father, you know, you know me, you know my heart. I don't know the hearts of the people out here. I don't know anything about that, but you know. And Father, even right now, the light of your word and your truth is shining on their lives. And Father, they know that little secret shame, or maybe that big shame, that little secret sin, or maybe that big sin, that your light is exposing. And so, Father, we just recognize that it's in the power of prayer and it's at the cross of Jesus that this sin is going to get dealt with, and that it's your desire for the church that we be free of it. Father, we ask that you would answer that prayer today. Amen. And it's in prayer that the appeal of sin is also exposed, right? It's in the presence of God right there where we 
see how ugly sin actually is, where we see the consequences of our actions, where we see the damage that is done and how sin loses its luster, right? Like whatever we thought was really fun last week or whatever we thought we were getting away with or whatever we thought was really feeding our lives and making us feel good, in prayer suddenly we realize it's nothing, right? We realize before God right there in prayer that whatever it was, that we thought we were doing right, that we, that, we were, that we were making ourselves feel better by, or that we were bolstering ourselves by, or that we were getting pleasure from, we realize that moment we step into prayer, into the presence of God, it loses its appeal, doesn't it? It's not as great as we thought it was. Oh, it was fun last night. It was not so fun in the presence of God. We realized that we had put our hope in the wrong thing. We realized that we had gone down the wrong path. We realized we had been, been pursuing the wrong thing. And so it's in prayer where we realize these things. You can be sure that there is deception if you can't bring it before God in prayer. If there's anything in your life that you can't confess to God, if there's anything in your life that you can't bring to God in prayer, that you're uncomfortable with, talking to God about, whether it's a relationship or an activity or a motive, if you can't talk to God about it, then it's exposed the shame. It's exposed the sin. And that's what prayer does. Measure everything in prayer. And thirdly, the strength of sin is also met in prayer, not with our weakness, right? Because we are not going to conquer our own flesh. We see enough of that in the world trying and failing to conquer. We know that that is a dead end. So we come to God with, for his overwhelming strength. We come to God realizing that there's no temptation that God cannot be faithful to meet, that he will not let us be tempted beyond our ability, and that even as we have sinned, he is faithful and just to forgive us. And so when we come to God and we realize that his light is cast on our life and we realize that the appeal of the sin that we thought we were doing something and we you know whatever it was that we did whether we were powering up on somebody and getting our way or or we have this relationship that we shouldn't have or we have this habit that we shouldn't have or we have whatever it is when that appeal reveals itself then finally thirdly the strength of God we find the strength of God in prayer that that is where we start. We don't start with ourselves, we start with God in prayer. And sin exposed before God in this way should result in shame. And so you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, oh, Paul, this is such a downer. We started with such a great Sunday and the kids were up here and everything was so happy and now you're sin and shame and all of this stuff. But this is the reality of sin is that it does cause this shame. And that this is the healthy shame. If you don't feel shame over your sin, then there's something deeply wrong. And it's God's desire for his people. It's God's desire for his church that we should feel shame over our sin. 1 Timothy 4.2 tells us specifically that there are people whose consciences are seared by sin and they are unable to feel shame or grief about sin. And their inability to feel shame or grief about sin, they are trapped in the teaching of liars and demons. That's what Timothy says in 1 Timothy 4, 2 and 3. And so when we talk about shame and we talk about the grief and we talk about the heartache over our sin, that is a gift of God. 
And so we have to turn our whole thinking around from, oh, we can't talk about sin, we can't talk about guilt, we can't talk about shame, it's such a downer, to realize that the shame that we feel from our sin in prayer as we come before God as a gift of the Holy Spirit. It's a right and proper shame. And you're thinking, Paul, where are you getting this? 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 is sort of the core verse for this morning. 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9 is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. And you want to talk about a bunch of misfits and underdogs and, you know, just crazy bag of mixed nuts. you got to talk about the church at Corinth, right? Nobody holds a candle to these guys. It was a port town. It had idols and temples all over it. It had, you know, the sailors and all the stuff that goes along with sailors when they're away from home. And, uh, like, Corinth was a den of iniquity in literal sense of the word. And Paul is writing to the, to the church in Corinth, and he's reprimanded them many times. He, they're always getting a bit of a scolding from Paul, uh, but in love. And you listen to his heart now as you read 2 Corinthians 7, 8, and 9. He says, For even if I made you grieve with my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, for I see that the letter grieved you, though only for a little while. As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. Okay, that's the heart of every pastor, every preacher, every minister who gets up and has to talk about sin. Right? Even if I made you grieve, I don't regret it. Though I do regret it, for I see that it grieves you, but just for a little while. Right? As it is, I rejoice. We rejoice as a church that God has placed in us this reality that sin causes shame. That sin causes us to repent. That sin causes us to reflect on our lives. As the light is shone on it, sin causes us to grieve. Don't buy into this worldly self-help psychology that shame is always bad. Okay, that's what Timothy was talking about. Timothy was saying there are people who believe the lies of, of teachers who say that there is no shame, there is no guilt. They sin and they feel no guilt and they've bought into the teaching of demons. There is this self-help psychology that says we should always fight shame with positive self-actualization. That self-esteem reinforcement, right? Continually telling yourself that your sinful nature is okay. You know, don't buy into that. There is a time now, right now, as a church, because it's God's desire that we be free from shame and free from sin, that we have to confront it, we have to embrace it, and we have to bring it to Jesus at the cross. So if you're sinning, you should be ashamed. If you sin, you feel shame, and then you rejoice. Because God has opened your eyes, he's softened your heart, he's taught you something about yourself, he's revealed something about your character that he wants to correct. That he wants to go in there and say, you can be more Christ-like in this manner. God is not revealing sin in order to condemn you. God is revealing sin in order that you come to him and lean on him for his strength and for his forgiveness and for his ultimate cleansing, which we'll get into next week. So God has not left you alone and helpless in your sin. He's taken your sin on himself, right? And we know that as Christians. We know that he took on the sin right there at that cross in his son Jesus. That that is his gift, that that is yours. 
that continually as Christians, or for the first time as non-Christians, you can take this shame, you can take this sin, you can take this heart wound and bring it to the cross. Daily and hourly if you need to. Just in the interest of time, I'm going to skip so the guys at the back can follow along. There's another shame at work, and I just want to touch on this as we conclude. There's another shame at work, and it's not really shame, it's actually pride. It's a shame of exposure. It's a shame of standing up in church. It's a shame that might come from others who might know about your sin. It's a shame that comes from breaking off a sinful relationship or the shame of breaking off practices with your friends, you know, that you used to do together, but you're no longer going to do them. And you feel shame because you're going to stop doing that. And that's the wrong kind of shame. There's a shame in churches, too, where too many churches get shame wrong, where preachers and church people, we feel like we have to add to the shame of people. Oh, you're a sinner, so we're going to judge you and add to your shame, and that is so wrong. There is no shame in repentance. Shame is for rejoicing. Repentance is a source of glory, not shame. It's not the role of this church. It will, I pray and hope, will never be the role of this church or this people to add to anybody's shame. That's not what God's hope for the church is, is that we would add to people's shame. God's hope for the church is that we be free from shame. That we are free to enter into his throne room in prayer and free to come to his cross with the things that cause our shame, with our sin. And so you got your piece of paper, you got your pencil there. What I would like you to do is I would like you to write down on that piece of paper one thing or have many things as you want, you know. Ask friends around you for more paper if you need it. Um, Just write down one thing on that piece of paper that is a sense of shame for you. It can be in your distance past. It can be from yesterday. Just as we go to God in prayer, just think, and I'll have the music team come, and we're just going to, they're going to sing a song, and while they're singing a song, you write down that piece of paper, and I just want you to know that it's God's desire that you be free from sin, that you be free from shame. That whatever it is, the cross is where you leave it. That Jesus our Savior is faithful to forgive you and that he has borne your sin and he's also borne your shame for that sin. And then to rejoice in repentance. And where there's confession and repentance, there's rejoicing. And so every man, woman, and child among us is guilty. We're by nature children of wrath. Everyone here is wrestling with sin. I, I know we are wrestling with sin because we still have our flesh with us. And we're often losing in that wrestle. None of us has a righteousness of our own that allows for the shame and the condemnation of another. So nobody here is judging anybody else because we all got our own shame. So just, I'm just going to pray here. And then as the music team plays this last song, I'd like you just to take that piece of paper, fold it up as many times as you want. Nobody's going to look at it. And just come when you're ready and just put it here at the cross. And just leave that shame here. And let God deal with it. Let God deal with your heart. And then after you leave it here, if you have to go and talk to anybody else or or deal with outside of that, that's great. And I'll be right here if you want prayer. I'll, I'll pray with you. But you can just drop it off, go back to your seat, and then we'll close in a final chorus. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray now, even as these things are being written down, even as I've prayed here through this cold, Father, I I don't know. I I don't know what I've poured out here. 
I pour out water, you turn it into, into wine. Father, I just pray that your Holy Spirit has revealed in each of our hearts uh, just a thing of shame. It can be big, it can be small, it can be anything. You want to bear it all. You want to forgive us of our sin. Father, let this be a time where we just leave it at the cross. Let us come to Jesus on the cross and let him bear our, our shame. Amen. Music team. Praise the 
of your son he lived the perfect life and he was the perfect sacrifice and he was raised again to prove your promise that as we follow you that as we believe in him our sins are forgiven and the shame is removed father god this is such a huge problem but you are victorious over it Father God, as we come faithfully to you in prayer, as we open our lives up before you, as we respond to your revealing of the shame and the sin in our lives, you are faithful to forgive and you cleanse us of the shame. And so, Father, I just pray for us as a people now as we go forward that you would continue to deal with these things in the days and the weeks to come, that we would be a people victorious over shame, victorious over sin, and that as a church, We would never add to anybody's shame. We would rejoice in their repentance. We would rejoice that they are only made strong in their weakness. And so, Father, just bless us as we go. In Jesus' name, amen. So stay with us. We have the barbecue coming up. If anybody has anybody they want to talk to an elder or me about, uh, contact me. Come talk to me right now. I'll be around eating. I always stay for food. And uh, the Lord be with you. Do my chains.